I'm very pumped. Actually, my wife and I, my wife's over here. You want to wave, sweetie pie? Oh, there, there she is. Her, her name is Summer. My wife and I are pumped. We're very excited, translation. For those, <laughs> for those who don't know what pumped is, we're pumped to be a part of this church. We believe that God has led us here. It is a sweet, sweet, sweet thing for us to be here with you today. I know that that can sound like a put on. All right. Okay. This guy has to say he loves the church. Okay. He's a pastor and he's just moved to a new place and he's, he's got to love us. Right. Like he's no, no, I'm, I'm serious. We love God's church and we love this church family. And we believe that God is all over it. We have grown in appreciation for God's church. And I know that's not a cool thing these days. I know in a, these days that less and less people see church as the priority. In fact, a lot of people are trashing God's church. The bride, the family, the body. We know that these days church isn't like in vogue. It isn't like the cool thing. And to be frank, I can understand why some people trash a church. I mean, look to your left and look to your right. Seriously, look to your left, look to your right. And then look up here, exhibit A. We're a messed up people. We are. Everything good that we have is by grace in Jesus Christ. Thank, thank God we know the doctor, amen? He's making us well. In, in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus puts it this way to a group of Pharisees who didn't think that they needed Jesus. He puts it this way, those who are well or who are healthy have no need of a physician, a doctor, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And that call is a call to repentance. And we are sinners. We are the messed up. The Pharisees, they didn't see themselves as the messed up. Those in desperate need of Jesus, the physician. We are those who are the sick, but being made well by Jesus. And that is a sweet thing. Amen? Amen. We're all works in progress. I, now, I say I, we're happy about joining the church. We're, we're not under any illusions. The church is not necessarily the easy place to be. Okay? Why? People are here. Okay? The church isn't necessarily the easiest place, but I'm telling you, it is the best place place. God has a design for his family. And it's a design that's good for you. It's good for your family. It's ultimately good for his greater purpose in the kingdom. It's ultimately to be a part of his mission. You see, God has designed two different methods to bless this world, the family and his family. That's us, church. And so I'll say it again. I'm happy, I'm pumped that my family gets to join with this family in loving our Father together. And it is a sweet, sweet thing. We know the doctor. We know the doctor, and we get to be on mission together. Okay, so, so what? You know Jesus. You know the physician that, that is making you well. He's made you well before God. You know him. So what? Now what? 
Like, what do we do? I want to focus in on this a little bit today because I think knowing Jesus is just the starting point for why we are here, church. You see, he didn't just heal us. He's called us to something. It's to be a part of his healing mission in this world. He hasn't just, he hasn't just fixed us. He's, part, he's asked us to join him in his grand plan to fix all things. He hasn't just redeemed us. Hail, Redeemer. Love that name for him. Hail, Redeemer, hail. He hasn't just redeemed us. He's redeemed us to allow us to join him in his ultimate redemption plan. We are restored to be a part of the restoration plan, church. And the thing I want to focus on today is how. How? What's what's the doctor's prescription for how to bring about healing? In his church? In your life? In Muskoka? To the ends of the earth? What is his plan? How do we join in this plan? My hope is that right now, you'll tune in. Because what we're going to talk about today has shaped the entire rest of the New Testament and, in fact, the t- entire rest of history. This is an important message. In fact, eternal life, eternal life is on the line. Will we be listening for what God has to say and how to be a part of his mission? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful so thankful for the healing in Jesus' name. We are so thankful that though we were the sick, the broken, the lost, you chose to redeem us. You fought for us. You came to fix us. And ultimately, you have called us on a mission. Lord God, I pray that you would make that mission so clear to us. Lord God, I pray that you would open up ears that do not hear. You'd break down callous hearts. They might be soft before you today. Lord God, use this broken instrument, me, my voice, Lord God, as I open up your word. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would have mercy on us and you would continue to extend your grace to us today. Lord, help us to know how to join you. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Have your way in us by your spirit. Amen. All right, today we're going to be opening up God's word. If you got it, you can grab it right now. This is important because it's in this word that we find the healer's prescription for what's going on in this world. Ultimately, we want to open up the Bible because God's smarter than us and he has a way that is sweet. If you do not have a Bible, you see these people with the red shirts, they want to give you one. So just raise your hand. Say, I don't have a Bible here today. No shame in that. You didn't bring your Bible. That's fine. Okay, but if you do not own a Bible, this is your chance to get one. Don't give it back. Take it home. This is our gift to you. And please, 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 with this gift, don't just leave it on the shelf. Open it up. You can check out the, 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 the letter that we are going to read today. It's the book of Matthew. It's the, very first, it's the very first of the letters that we have in the New Testament. We're going to be turning to Matthew chapter 28 today. And as you're turning there, I'm going to be reading from a passage that I'm going to be referencing throughout the message. It's Acts 1 verse 8. It has a lot to do with what we are talking about today. This is the last thing that Jesus says to his disciples before before he's taken up into heaven, before his earthly ministry ends. It says this in in verse 8 of Acts 1. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, that's God, 
has come upon you. In other words, God's going to be with you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Have you found, have you found Matthew 28? Okay, we're going to be going in from verse 16. Now, this comes with a little bit of like a caution. Uh, beware, if you will. Many of you have heard a lesson before on the Great Commission. Anybody heard a lesson on the Great Commission before? Yeah, okay. Many of you have. Beware of what I have done far too many times. I know this. Time to kick back. What's for lunch? Swish LA is calling my name. No, don't miss this. I believe that as we open up the word of God collectively, God has something for us, church. He has something for you. Open up, lean in. Let him speak to you from his word today. Let him speak to you. Let him make it new again. Let him ignite a passion for his mission in your heart today. Will you let him? Matthew chapter 28, verses 20, excuse me, verses 16 through 20. I'm going to read it for you. He says this at the end of the book of Matthew, as you see. This is called the Great Commission. Now the 11 disciples, notice who's there. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Whoa. All authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Can you, can you say, go, therefore, and make disciples? Ready? One, two, three. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, disciples. And behold, I am with you always. I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And then, doop, that's it. That's the end of the letter from Matthew. You ever thought about how weird that is? That that's the end? If you've read the rest of the book of Matthew, what you see is, um, Jesus, I don't understand from his disciples. Jesus, how do you do that? I don't, what, I don't get this. Why did you do it that way? This is a pretty big command. All right, this is a big moment. Jesus is risen from the dead and he's got a message for them. He says, go make disciples. And you don't see these guys go, uh, Jesus, can you break that down for us? I don't, I don't know what you're saying. Why? Why? It's an important question to ask. Why doesn't he break it down? Listen to who is there, the 11 disciples. These guys, although they've asked a lot of questions the past three years, don't need to ask questions about this. Why? Because they were his disciples for the last three years. You don't see the question mark after this because they completely understand. They've lived what it is to make disciples. They've seen their rabbi Jesus do this with them the last three years. In fact, the reader who's reading this, because the disciple Matthew is writing this to the early church, the reader who's reading this doesn't need to ask those questions either because all they have to do is look at the first 27 chapters. Jesus is showing them how to make disciples. How to make disciples. Seems abrupt, but that's because all the answers are right there. 
Acts 1, 8 is kind of abrupt too, if you think about it. Jesus' earthly ministry is over. It's done after this moment, all right? He goes right to heaven. He says, hey, go everywhere and tell them about me. And he's gone. It's like, oh, like he's, he goes to heaven. He's beamed up. I, I don't know what it looked like, but I'm saying, wow, that's it. Uh, Jesus, I got some questions. Right? What, what do you, oh, okay. Wait, wait a second. Can't I go with you? I mean, after all, have you ever thought about this? We have been made right with God when we have faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, let me break this down a little bit further, okay? We have been made right with God. Therefore, heaven is now our destination. It is our home. I might have grown up in poor city, but that's not my home. Heaven is my home. That's where I'm going. All right? That is my home now. Well, wait, wait, wait a second. Why can't I go home? I mean, why? Why? Why am I still here in this pain-filled, broken place filled with sorrow? Let's be honest. Why? Why are we still here? Well, there it is in both of these texts. Why? Why these abrupt endings? Why did Jesus just go? Because he's just told us why we stay here. We have a mission. You see, just like Jesus was a foreigner, a stranger coming from heaven to earth, a place that was not his home, he came to our broken state, our broken place, to love us and to tell us of the good news in his name. And in the same way, he's sending us, church. He's sending you. He's sending me. To be just like him, telling people who are broken, going to where they are in their broken state and telling them about Jesus as strangers, as foreigners, as aliens here, we are to do this. Why? Because the earth is not our home. We're just passing through. But we aren't just passing through. We are here for a mission and for a purpose. We have a mission. What is that mission? I've already said it. Be a part of God's fixing plan, of his healing plan. We know the doctor. You see, we have been restored to restore. We've been added to the kingdom in order to expand the kingdom, to be missionaries here on earth. You can go like this. I'm a missionary. Where are you a missionary? Wherever you live, you're a missionary. We are here to be on mission. And if you think about it, it can't stop with us. It didn't stop, and I thank God, it did not stop with these 11 disciples. It didn't stop with the person who told you about Jesus Christ. It must not stop with us, amen? If it stops with us, who's going to tell the next generation of people in Muskoka? Who's going to take the good news to the furthest parts of the earth? Who's going to do this? It must not stop with us. Eternity is on the line. God's mission is on the line. What is the mission? Matthew 28 puts it this way. Go make disciples. Let's try this again. We'll say go make disciples together. You ready? Go make disciples. Disciples, Go make disciples. This is what I want to focus on today. I want to understand what this means today. You're like, I already got it. No, don't check out. Lean in. What does this mean? And I believe as we discover what it means, we'll also discover the how is it supposed to look? How is it done? I got a hint for you. Okay? 
hint. This isn't just because I'm the discipleship pastor. <laughs> it might look a lot like a missional small group. It might look a lot like a missional small group. Go make disciples. Let's figure out what this means. Let's check out what the words mean. I mean, this was written not in English, right? This was written in Greek, old school Greek. So we're going to go find out what the old school Greek has to say. The first word, go. I mean, we, we, we kind of get this word, but this is, this is a Greek proactive participle. This means intentionally move to. In other words, you're here. All right, you with me? I want you to go over there. I'm there. I've gone. I went. Go. Take the initiative. Move from this place to that place. You've got to understand, this is not saying, hey, when you want to, go. Or when it works for your schedule, go. All right? It's not saying, hey, when you're financially secure, then you can go. Or, or maybe when you reach that next stage of life, maybe it's retirement, then you can go. That's not what it's saying here. It's saying go. And if you think about the words of what's being said and who's hearing it, if those guys had waited to be financially secure, to be in the next stage of their life, let's be honest, none of us would be here. It's not about the convenience. It's about go. If you think about this word go, it carries with it, it this, this anti-lazy attitude. You can't stay still and go. It's not going to happen. It's not about your comfort zone when you go. It's going to demand energy to move there. It requires a leaving of what's comfortable to go be uncomfortable. It's certainly anti-consumer. It's certainly not about you, even the way Jesus pitches it. Hey, authority's given to me, go. It's not about you, go. We got the Olympics coming up, maybe. <laughs> Everything works out well, okay? And the Olympics is probably my favorite moment in the Olympics. You have the 100-meter the dash, okay? And there's, there's gonna be people lining up from all over the world to figure out who the fastest in the world is, right? You with me? Okay, you got Usain Bolt. Is he still the fastest guy? Hey, Bolt. All right, but here's the thing. Usain Bolt's going to line up against who? Justin Gatlin for the United States. The Gatlin gun is his name. And of course, our boy, which we're rooting for, right? Andre DeGrasse. Let's go. He looks like he's in seventh grade, but he's fast. All right, and we want him to win. And these guys have been training, all right? These guys have been training for the last three years for this moment. They're going to the Olympics to determine who's going to be the fastest man. I'm going to get my place in history. We're going to go be the fastest man. Can you imagine? They're all lining up, all right? And it's like, on your marks, get set, go. And the gun goes off, and the guys are like, hey, nice shoes, bud. Hey, nice to be I haven't seen you since last competition. How's the family? No, that's not going to happen, is it? What are they going to do? They're going to be out of the blocks, man. Why? Because this is their moment. They've been training for it. Just like the disciples have been training for it. When they hear the word go, they go. But sometimes, honestly, in the church, we're a little bit more like my soccer team that I coached when I was 16. Nine-year-olds. Okay? Some of you guys know where I'm going already, all right? Nine-year-olds. All right? There's lots of different nine-year-olds. First off, you get the first four. And you don't have to coach these guys, really. You just have to encourage them and send them back out there because they're like, I'm here to play soccer. Let's go. And they're going out there. And all you need to do, they come back. Here's some water. Okay, got to stay hydrated. Keep going there, Sonny. Get her done, you know. And you send them out. And he goes hard and she goes hard. And that, that's great. 
That's great. Then you, got the, then you got the next four. They need a little bit of encouragement because they're a little bit afraid. Like, I don't know. Mom signed me up, you know? And, and I'm going, and I'm going to give my very best. I'm going to try because I like you, coach, and I'm going to give my very best. And I just, you can do it. You can do it, little Johnny. Get her done. Go. You can, you can do it. Don't be afraid of the ball. And they're in there, but you love them because they're giving you what they got, right? But then you've got the other four, and you already know who these four are, all right? Maybe it was you. I'm sorry if it was you. But here's the situation. you got four, and these four do not care about soccer. <laughs> I mean, they like the bench. They like the, the cool uniforms. They like the cleats that maybe their parents bought that just don't fit them and ca- cause them to have sore feet, okay? But they, they also like the orange slices at halftime. All right, and you got to keep them away from there until halftime comes, right? They like, they like their water bottle. They like the concept of being on a team, but they don't really want to go play. In fact, if you make them go play, they go out in the field and they usually like talk to each other. Balls going by. There's guaranteed like two flowers are going to get picked at least, right? You know what I'm talking about. You've seen it. You're like, John, you're being so hard on them. They're only nine years old. But I, I, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry at the same time. The whole point of soccer isn't to be on the team. The team exists to play soccer. Do you see it? Too many in the church are missing the point of the church. They're ignoring the coach's most important structure instructions that we're talking about today. The doctor's healing prescription, his goal for this church, for us, and it starts with the words go. It's important to note this isn't given in a fashion that's optional. All right, listen to what he says. All authority has been given to me. Where? In heaven and on earth. It's like, wait, is there another authority? No, all authority. Go. Oh, okay. You know, you can just see the disciple. All right, where do we go? To all nations. To your Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. What does that mean? Your Jerusalem? That might be for you Port Sydney, Baysville, Port Carling, Huntsville, Bracebridge, Perry Sound. It might be any number of these. But I understand, this, that might be your Jerusalem. That's where you are. Be on mission. Tell people there. Okay. Your Judea, that may be like your Ontario, your Samaria, Quebec, BC, some other province, to the ends of the earth. Maybe that's Papua New Guinea for you. Maybe that's Chad, Africa for you. Maybe, maybe it's supporting somebody from compassion. All right? Go to all nations, making disciples of all nations. I, for one, am thankful that the disciples took this quite literally. You see, these disciples break up from their time at Pentecost, and where do they go? They go to India. They go to Europe. They go to North Africa, and they tell people about Jesus Christ. You and I are sitting here because they obeyed God's command to go. Will you? Who will be sitting here after you? Will you go? Second word, make. Another loaded word. It's a word that in itself carries this idea of of shaping, this idea of forming. It's this idea of effort. It's intentional. It's certainly not done by accident. Make, make. It's not a standalone word, though. In the Greek, make and disciples is actually one word. We read it in English. We're like, there's three words. No, but it's actually two words. Go 
and make disciples. What does this word disciples mean? We hear this as the North American church, and we think, I know what a disciple is. It's a person who is saved. It's a person who follows Jesus. That's it. That's what a disciple is. And then we say, I know it. I've done it. I, I, I fall into this too. That's right, but it's incomplete. It's certainly not what those 11 guys heard. It's certainly not what a Jewish person who reads this thinks when they hear make disciples, that word, make disciples. Let's take a look at what this means. It means the root of this is mathetes. Okay, you're like, oh boy, here we go. Okay, English, and now you're really confusing me. I'm bad at English, and you're gonna throw Greek at me. Mathetes, all right? Yes, mathematics as well, English and math. Woo, flashback to high school. Get me out of here. All right, no, no seriously, Seriously, mathetes, this is, this is the same root word, yes, as mathematics, maybe because it's a multiplication movement, okay? Maybe because people are meant to be added to the movement. I'm not, I, that might be a stretch. What I want to focus in is why is this word so often used? I mean, this word is used 269 times. You get it? That's a lot of times. In the first five books of the New Testament, throughout the Gospels and the first book of Acts, the Acts of the early church. Five, five books, 269 times. This is central to the mission of the church. In, in Matthew 28, it's found in this variation, metateusate. It's a verb meaning to be or to make a disciple or simply to disciple. It's an imperative verb form. Wow, now you're like, what? Of, man, <laughs> of manthanao which means to learn by practice or to acquire a custom or a habit by doing it. This is also important to note. This is the command in this passage. This is the command version of this word. In fact, go becomes a command because of make disciples. All right? Go becomes a command because of the central command in this passage, make disciples. This is a lot of English stuff, I know, but let me just summarize it and try to break it down for you. Essentially, what this is saying is this. You, disciple, you, disciple of Jesus, you who's learned by practice must make another you. That's what I'm sending you to all nations to do, is make another you. That's what the word would mean to them. What would it mean to a Jewish person? I've heard people say, well, it's like a student-teacher relationship. You, when you're talking about disciple, you've got to talk about the rabbi, the teacher. And, and you've got to talk about, okay, it's meant to be a student. You've got to be a student of the rabbi. But that, that doesn't do it quite justice because of our North American bent on that. See, we think of a student as someone goes to a classroom and learns about something. But that's not the way that a rabbi and a disciple relationship worked. In fact, the disciple of the rabbi, the student or the pupil of the rabbi, didn't just sit in their class. They walked with him. They talked like him. They learned his way of doing things, his way. Not just his teaching, but his way in doing life. In fact, the rabbi's whole goal with his disciples is to reproduce himself in the disciples. This passage lends itself to that. The passage supports it. It says, hey, all that I have taught you, you go tell them. You pass it on. Do you see it? Go make another disciple by passing on what I have taught you. Disciple. The early church was known this way. In fact, the very first 
name for Christians was people of the way. Whose way? The rabbi's way. Jesus's way. That's how we were known at first. It wasn't until later that we were called Christians, which, by the way, means little Christs, imitators of Jesus, imitators of the rabbi, disciples. So maybe the student-teacher relationship doesn't work in our mind. Maybe it's more like an apprentice or this mentor saying, hey, this is how I do it. You can do it like this too. Hey, learn from my way. This is, this is, this is my way. Do things this way. I would suggest that all proper understanding, though, of making disciples has to consider what does make disciples mean to these guys. I mean, they spent three years with Jesus. He made disciples of them. They probably have their own lingo, right? They probably have their own inside jokes. They've been living together. They've been smelling each other. They've been all, they've been doing life together. What does it mean to these guys in particular that are being told this? Well, one, they would immediately recognize that their goal in discipleship is to, is to make the disciple like who? Jesus. That's the end product. Then you got to ask, well, how did Jesus make disciples of them? What was his method? So the end product and the method. Let's take a look at these two things. The end product a disciple is to look like its rabbi. We are a disciple of Jesus. We are to do life like Jesus. How did Jesus do life? What did he do? He invested in a relationship with God, the Father. He's constantly taking time to be in prayer. He obviously knew the word inside out and backwards. He took time away to do those two things. Many of us, though, we feel dry in our relationship with God. Why? Because we haven't been investing in it. He invested in others. If you notice, Jesus' ministry, is he's got the, this inner circle of three, and he's got his 12, and he's got his 72, and he's got his masses, and he's constantly investing in people. It's quite simple. He invested in others. Many of us crave community, but few of us are willing to invest time and life in other people. He invested in the kingdom mission. If you look at Jesus' life, he doesn't waste a whole lot of energy and time going after other things that this world has to offer. He has got one thing on his mind, and that is the kingdom mission, and he is not going to stop until he has done the mission that God has given him. He is all about the mission, but let's be honest, sometimes we get distracted. Sometimes we spend and invest in things that are not going to last. Worldly pursuits. Often we're exhausted because of this. So, so far we've, we've learned that he invested in a relationship with God and others. He invested in the kingdom mission, but he invested in reproducing himself, in replicating himself. If you look throughout his three years of ministry, he spends it with 12 guys. I want you to think about this for a moment. Jesus, Jesus took 12 guys under his wing. That was his primary ministry, is to recreate himself in these 12 guys and then send them out. How do I know that he meant to send them out right from the beginning? Well, Mark 3, 14, Jesus designates them disciples and apostles. What does apostles mean? Apo, all right, away from, stalos, 
send. In other words, he's saying, hey, follow me, become my disciple, but one day you're going to be sent out from me to be me wherever you go. Jesus is all about reproducing himself and sending them out. This then is the end product or the end goal of all discipleship is to be like Jesus. How? A reproducing, listen, listen, a reproducing. You're not mature unless you're reproducing. Kingdom pursuing, lover of God and others. I'll say it again, a reproducing, kingdom pursuing, lover of God and others. If we're really honest, if we're really inspecting ourselves, we could all use a little more discipling, couldn't we? See, if we ever arrive at thinking we're like Jesus, we've arrived at the wrong spot. We constantly need discipling throughout our walk. We constantly need people to say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. It leads us to our method of how do we make little Christs. How did Jesus do it? First, he specialized in the few, not the many. He specialized in the few, not the many. This is important for us North Americans to get because ever since the day that Ford rolled a nice-looking car out of the assembly line, we have been obsessed with mass production. How can we get the most done, the biggest number, with the littlest amount of resources in the smallest amount of time? This has become our lens through which we look at the world. But Jesus didn't look and do like that. He invested in the 12, and even more specifically into his inner circle of three. He prayed all night. Talk about not worrying about time. He prays all night for these guys before he chooses them, and he believes that he is led to them by the Father. You don't believe me? You can check out John 17. He, be- he felt that these guys were given to him by God. And he specialized in the art of the few. He pours himself out in a few people. He fosters a small group that was missional and devoted to the mission of replication. If you think about this, this is kind of amazing. Think about it. God leaves heaven to come here and invests in a few people. Isn't that crazy? And in those few people, he start a disciple-making, reproduction, multiplying ministry that is meant to be a part of the healing of this world. I can hear you already. There's a, there's, we're a room full of Canadians. It means we're probably a room full of skeptics. Wait a second, John. Didn't those, those 11 guys, like at Pentecost, and like a miracle takes place, and Peter's preaching, and then 3,000 people come to know Jesus? Isn't that what you call mass production, John? <laughs> yeah. Those 3,000 people went on to meet regularly in a large group in the temple, but they met daily in each other's homes. And they, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. See, they're passing it on. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and, and, and prayer. See, they took this big group and broke it down into relationships. You see, there's nothing wrong with big numbers. This is a big group of people. You're the second service. 
We are a part of a big movement. But if we lose our heart of fostering relationships where discipleship happens, then we miss out on this command. You see, missional small groups aren't huge, but they replicate and they require intimate relationship. That's where we get into the second point. Jesus did life on life ministry, or I like to say life in life ministry. It's not just like, hey, we visit, then we're gone. No, we do life together kind of ministry. And what does that mean? That means you got to get close. It's scary. Why? People are messy. That's right. You're hard to live with. I'm hard to live with. It will demand energy and will force your sanctification. It will require you to be vulnerable and accountable. And guess what? People will hurt you if you do life on life ministry. Life on life ministry has a bigger cost. And I think that's why so few do it. But that's how Jesus did it. He said, follow me, follow my lead. See, the leader is an example how to do life. This is confirmed all throughout scripture. The elder isn't just supposed to be some teacher guy. He's supposed to be an example of how to follow Jesus. And you've got, you've got the idea of training pastors. How did Paul do it? How did, how did these guys do it? They took younger guys alongside them in ministry and they said, this is how I do what I do. They, they invited them into their life and they did life alongside of them. It will cost you in that way. Older men and older women are told to take younger men and younger women under their wing and show them how to do marriage well and to raise kids well. What am I saying? I'm saying it's important not to just think of discipleship like, oh, we visit and we did our thing and that's it. It's got to be life on life because discipleship is caught just as much as it's taught. Missional small groups must live alongside one another They'll watch their example. They'll watch their, they'll watch their leader as they mission and as they live. This leads us into the next point, the third point. So far, Jesus did it the few, not the many. He did it life on life or life in life. And then he did real life practical training, real ministry training. He did it like a show and tell style, okay? So Jesus didn't just have classrooms set up. He took these guys. He took his 12 guys. He said, all right, let's go. Let's go. He did outreach and discipleship alongside each other. They're not meant to be separated. Jesus didn't separate them. He said, hey, guys, let's go. Let's go. We're going to minister to the masses together. They minister to the healing, the broken, those people in desperate need of good news in Jesus Christ. And he shows them how to do it. He shows them. And then later at night, after they're exhausted, they all sit down and have a classroom time. Hey, Jesus, why did you do that? Hey, this is what I meant when I taught this. And he breaks it down further than he did show and tell style ministry. In North America, we like to separate these two things, okay? We like to major in the classroom and minor in the mission or on the field style training. We're often keeping them separate. It's to our own detriment, I believe. I mean, with a carpenter, do you take a carpenter? Anybody carpenter here? Anybody carpenter? Come on, don't be, yeah, yeah, own it, right? I'm a carpenter. All right, here's the deal. Do you take a carpenter for seven years and put him in a classroom? And then at the end of seven years, great, close those books. Here's a hammer. What? That person has no clue how to be a carpenter. In fact, you put them on the field, they're like, uh, uh, I got to build a house, I'm in charge. What? And they're freaking out, right? 
Why? Because you make carpenters on the job site. Real life practical training. And then you can take them aside and put them in an apprenticeship classroom and you tell them the why behind what. You show them the details of of why that pitch has to be put this way, all the rest of it. You take them from there and you put them in the real life practical training to make a carpenter. You see, Jesus did this. He modeled this. He said, hey, hey, follow me. You see how I did that? Go do that. Hey, hey, join me in this, and afterwards you're going to be building by yourself. He showed them in a practical way. He took them on mission with him. Paul would go on to say something similar. He'd say, hey, follow me, follow my example, okay, as I follow Christ. You see it? Follow my lead as I follow Jesus' lead. Notice who they're following, who the disciple is to be like. Who the hero of the story is. If you're calling someone, hey, hey, this is how I do it. This is how I do it. You don't point to yourself. You point to Jesus. I might be a few steps ahead of you on the trail. You can follow me. But remember who we're following is we're following Jesus Christ. Making disciples of Jesus. Taking people under our wing to that extent. See, small groups aren't filled with a bunch of experts. Certainly not a bunch of perfect people. I mean, that's Jesus, and that's us once we get to see him forever, you know? But we're not perfect, but we are people that are being trained and being perfected while on mission as we follow our leaders and as ultimately you follow Christ's example. Do you see it? We're to make disciples that look like Jesus, that do life like Jesus. We are to make them how? The few, not the many. Life on life, life in life. And we are to do it as we go on mission. Real life, practical training. Now you know. Go make disciples. That's what it meant to these guys. That's what it meant in the book of Matthew when we read it. That's what it means to us, church. Got some questions, though. Will you go? Do you go? I'm not talking about last year. I'm not talking about that mission trip you went on that one time you told somebody about Jesus. I'm talking about who, where are you moving from to? Where's the hurting people that you're meant to go to? Are they in your office? Are they across the street? Is it the widow? Is it the, is it, is it the person that's a young person and, and struggling through life? Is it the single bum? Is it your best friend? Is it a family member? Who is it that you are to go out of your way, intentionally move to go and show the way to follow Christ, to tell about Jesus, to share the good news of a fix in Jesus Christ, to be a part of their healing? And when you go, are you just going to go, oh, I did it. That's it. Good luck on your own. Are you going to make a disciple that will make disciples? Are you investing in your few, in your three, in your 12? What's keeping you from it? What's more important than it? Are you investing in life on life ministry? We we have small groups here. Are you part of a small group that's doing mission together? Or maybe we have, we have students here that need leaders. Russ needs a bunch of people who are willing to take the younger generation under their wing and say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Here's the things I did wrong. Here's the things I did right. Let's go follow Jesus together. Do you, do you have that kind of relationship? Are you investing intentionally? 
Are you taking people under your wing? Are you saying to those who follow behind you, follow me as I follow Christ? Are you? Think about it. Are you? Don't let Satan convince you you're not ready yet. Don't let the flesh keep you in comfort zone. Don't let fear keep you paralyzed from taking the very first steps. Why can I say that? Because Jesus says right in this passage, as you're going to make disciples, hey, 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 listen, I'm with you. I am with you always. You want to go make disciples? I'm with you. You want to know Jesus is with you? Go make disciples. He says, I am with you always. That should help us in this process of fear. Why? Because we had the most powerful, the person with all the authority, the person with all the love for you is in your corner, has your back as you go to make disciples. Stop letting fear paralyze you. Stop letting excuses paralyze you. Do you make disciples? Will you make disciples? We're on a mission trip here and now. This is your central purpose. Find your team and go to a foreign, pain-filled place, wherever you may find it. Be a disciple. Join Jesus in his disciple-making ministry. Step one. Three steps for you. Be like Jesus. Surrender. Surrender to the call. It's not about you. It's bigger than you. Give everything to it. Surrender. Step two, pray. Like Jesus did, pray. Have you ever prayed, God, give me that person or those people who I am meant to disciple, to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Jesus did it. Have you prayed it? Will you pray it? Three, go. Invest. Make disciples of Jesus Christ. Church, it's why you're still here. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for making us a part of your family. Thank you so much for showing us Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for showing us the way to be healed. Lord God, make us not selfish. Help us to show a hurting world all around us the way. Lord, we know we're here for this purpose still. Help this to become our priority. The thing that we not just hear about, but the thing that we do. Lord God, Help us. Go with us. Give us your spirit as we go to a world in need of healing. Help us to spread your healing, to expand your kingdom, to be a part of your restoration plan. Lord God, I pray that you would use this group of people. Lord, that you would just get rid of any excuse. Help them to be overcome and obey. Surrender. Lord, thank you so much that you're with us as we go. I pray that you would be with us as we go this day. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.